up, everybody? This is Carrick with ACG. Let's kick the shit out of the day. This is the ACG D&D podcast number whatever. Who knows? At some point, I'll probably change that name because a lot of people have been like, is this a just a D&D podcast? No, it's an everything podcast. It's role playing. Even in games I've talked about, it's how to get started in this. Hey, there'll probably be a little bit of self-help in here because you guys know me. I can't stop from giving a little self-help when I feel that people are down. We're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. If you get a chance, Spotify and iTunes, I would love for you to subscribe, leave a review. It is super helpful. I'm not just sitting here and saying that, by the way. A lot of people will hear it and they'll be like, well, I don't know. I love your stuff, but I don't know if I can, you know, hit subscribe. Dude, go hit subscribe. Shut the fuck up, man. It's not that hard. So we got that Amazon affiliate link as well in the description. You can click that. You can buy anything at Amazon that helps the channel just a little bit. doesn't cost you anything, but it does help the channel continue running because you know, other than my own Amazon stuff, I just don't have any sponsors. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, I want to talk about role-playing as a whole. I'm going to talk about solo role-playing as well as group role-playing. I'm going to probably some video game stuff. I'm also going to talk about two-person role-playing. That little stutter right there was because my dogs had a skerfuffle outside. So anyway, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about two-person. We're going to talk about solo. I'm also going to run you through some random generators. As you guys know, everything will be in the description here when we go about it and talk about this different stuff. Nothing's affiliated, but, you know, a lot of times I'll go and I'll see something cool on YouTube or on a random webpage when it comes to video games or Dungeons & Dragons role-playing, board games, what have you, and I'll want to cover it. So we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today. The new thing I'm also going to cover is a little bit of new news when it comes to role-playing and tabletop as we move forward. One of the reasons why is because with COVID out there, there's so many different people getting into board games and role-playing, Dungeons & Dragons of all kinds, solo group, and there's a lot of questions about new and old combined when it comes to what's out there, what you can jump into, what its difficulty level is. Now, I want to make sure that I'm clear. I don't have any issues with current reviewers that I see when it comes to board games or tabletop or, you know, role playing or anything like that. There are times where I think that just like video games, you can have people that sort of get mired in their own thing. And so I will go out there and try to make sure in this podcast that if I see some idiosyncrasies or something like that, I make sure that, you know, I sort of cover those in my own so that that way you can get even more data. But I want to make sure that people don't think that I'm looking at this and going like, man, I'm just going to take the world by storm. And, you know, all these guys suck. I see a lot of really good role playing, a little a really good D&D rule sets out there that people talk about and jump into. But I do see that there's a, a high level, so not necessarily an orchestrated kind of thing, but you could call it that. A high level, uh, I, yeah, I'm just going to use that term. Sort of an orchestrated desire to cover just the n- new stuff that's coming out and in just a particular way. And so you'll start to see people going like, is there any other system other than D&D? And then you'll have channels that are basically just doing stuff other than D&D. Well, that's not necessarily really what a person's usually going for. They're usually going for something that can sort of cover everything and all things from a normal person's standpoint. And that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to do it from a normal person's standpoint, from the standpoint of somebody who's not sort of mired in that um, industry as much uh, per se. So anyway, let's begin. First thing I want to say, when it comes to role-playing, there's an energy level that is required, whether you're the DM or the player that I do want to discuss just for a minute. As you guys probably have guessed, I'm a high energy person. However, that is not all the time. I would say it, I'm incredibly high energy 
and then I'm not. Now, this isn't a depression kind of thing. I don't have any issues getting out of bed. What happens is, I guess the easiest way to describe it would be sort of like a brain fog, and it can come on at any time. It doesn't have to come on during the morning or during the night. And, you know, as I've gotten, even when I was younger, I had hypoglycemia and those kind of things, which is like a, a blood sugar issue. It's not diabetes or anything like that, but where it can cause a little bit of a, a, a fugue state, you know, a state where things aren't necessarily clicking. When it comes to role-playing, I got to tell you, one of the most important thing about role playing that no one covers and it blows me away and this is going to be sort of my first point is what time you play now a lot of people might be like well i'm forced to play at a certain time yeah i can get that however you may want to adjust your day if you can adjust the time frame if that works better for you and let me describe that i know people who are great until eight o'clock and their mental facilities absolutely crumble they fall off they disappear the person becomes a driveling idiot at 8.01. And by the way, I have family members that are like that. Everything's fine, 7.59, everything's fine. Eight o'clock comes and it's like a switch has been flipped and they lose all their energy. I've seen other people that they get their energy at 8.01. Eight o'clock at night, they're a night owl, right? And they start to get their energy and you have all manner of things in between. The easiest way that I would be able to say to describe that is we all probably know when is the best time for us to read something. When is the best time for us to discuss something? You'll pick it up over time. You'll be discussing something one day in the morning. And you'll be like, I really didn't make my point very well. Then two hours later, you're talking about something else and you make your point quite well. And you're like, I felt like everything was connected. Just sort of in your brain, you know, note down those times and figure it out. Because when you get a group together, you're going to have people from Europe, people from Australia, China, Hong Kong, America, India. It doesn't matter worldwide because of Discord and because of various different tools for playing online. You got to make sure that it's the proper time. Now, I'm not talking about the proper time for Twitch streaming. I don't give a shit about that. This is not about monetization for you. That's something you're going to have to deal with on the side. What I'm talking about, by the way, my dogs are absolutely losing their mind. What I am talking about is the ability for you to, guys to come together as a team and sort of say, hey, you know what? Our, our, our good times overlap by about two hours, so that's the length of our game. When it comes to me, what I did was I always made sure to get all the group together and we would do, you know, super long games. And my energy admittedly leached off on them a little bit and helped them get through those, but we were usually doing weekend ones. And then the weekday ones were usually actually, strangely enough, right after work. And the reason why is because my energy level, at least when I'm at work, is the highest because I'm trying to do a job, whatever that job may be. And I found that there were far more bonuses coming home and instantly trying to do you know, role playing than it was having a refractory period because then my brain sort of got into lazy mode. So we would play, let's see, I would get off work at 3.30. We would play by five, by 4.30 or 5. That gave me time to get home because it was about 20 minutes to get home and, you know, get dressed. Everybody come over and start your game. Anyway, it's important. Sort of not notch down and identify what times work for you and work for your group because it's important. You will have better games because of it. Next thing, we're going to talk a little bit about role-playing solo games, multiplayer games, two-player games, and how they all work together. You might be thinking to yourself, solo? What the hell is a solo role-playing game? A solo role-playing game actually works, and they work very well, and some of the systems and tables and ways in which it works can be moved over to two-person and three-person and more games very easily. Now, currently, we're talking more about in-your-brain role-playing games than a board and stuff like that for various reasons, so just stick with me on that. So how do these systems work and why would you? The first is I want to describe a very basic scenario so that you can understand how solo, how two-person, and how three or more would work. 
let's say your character, we're not even going to give him a name or a class or anything right now. Your character wakes up in almost complete darkness. There is a small scattering of light above them and they hear what sounds like an echoey location that's around them. But when they open their eyes, they're barely able to see anything other than gray, shadowy, maybe sharp angles. That's pretty much it. But whenever anything moves or they scratch to sit up, that sound echoes out, giving them the indication it might be a larger place. That's going to be our starting description for a solo, multiplayer, whatever. How does this work when it comes to solo? Now, in most role-playing games, what happens is that's explained and the players going on sort of a team because there is usually no uh, initiative when it comes to those kind of investigative moments. What happens is they just go around the table and they're like, so I want to see if I can hear this. Another person says, I want to use my elven sight and sort of concentrate on seeing if I can let my, my sight get accustomed to the darkness. A normal person who doesn't have any of that might say, I'm going to tap on the ground or I'm going to feel around for something that's metal and tap on it to see if I can hear an echo and sort of guess how big this location is. Another person might say something else. They might just be like, I'm wondering what all you guys are doing. You know, it just depends, right? That's how your generic group would end up doing things. When it comes to a one and two person game, so one GM and one player, what happens there is pretty much the same thing, except the GM's job is to, it's always to give a lot of information to players, but in a co-op game, you really have to make sure that that player gets as much data that's useful as possible because there isn't anybody there to help them with ideas. Now, a lot of games have come forth, and I've done this since the Red Book days or the Red Box days. There's a lot of games out there that have systems built in place to assist a player who's by themselves because let's say two people are stuck in this dark room. One person may think of one thing and another person something completely different. That's why escape rooms are much more enjoyable with three or four people than they would be with just one person by themselves trying to figure shit out. Because if you get stymied, well, you're stymied. So with two player, the same exact kind of situation may occur, but the player might be might say something along the lines of, I want to do this and this, and they may do those. And maybe the GM will even say, if they know the character's skills, might say something along the lines of, your elven sight has become more accustomed to the to the dark or what have you, and you can now see this as well. Even if the player didn't necessarily say that because that is a passive skill, they don't have to necessarily indicate they want to use it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So GMs have to really work, especially in the two-player, I've found. I think, that that's, I think that that's something that most people would agree on. Now, the last is solo, which excites me because it's so weird. Most people wouldn't think it works, but it works quite well depending on the level you go. Solo role-playing, there's games like Mythic or Ironsworn. I, I'm not a fan of Ironsworn. I'll, I'll, I mean, just being honest at all, a lot of people swear by it, pun intended. I'm not a fan of Ironsworn. Uh, there's nothing actually actively wrong with it, but when it comes to solo games, I think you'll find one that probably sticks and works for you if you're going to be open to that kind of gaming anyway. How would solo, though, work in that kind of situation. We know how two player would work. One the the one person would basically say what they want the player would say what they want to do. Maybe the DM would say this and this and this and maybe even give them some more information depending. That kind of stuff and a multi-person group would do the same thing but they would have more basically choices in the same allotted period of time. Let's say each period was 15 seconds. One player can only do a specific amount of something in 15 seconds where five can well do four times what one person can do, right? There's four more people there and they can do something else in that allotted time frame and have different skills and abilities. Solo is a little different. So what Solo uses is a thing called the Oracle. And it's very cool. The Oracle has a set chance of something possibly occurring or being in the game world. 
And then you roll and you get an answer. Now, the answers will go over first because they're the easiest. Answers are no, no, but, no, and, yes, yes, and, or yes, but. Those are the answers you would get when you use the oracle. No, meaning, well, no. So if you say, you know, it, it, do I feel like I burned myself on the stove? You roll it, no. Okay. What if you say, and you roll it and you get no and. You'd say, no, not only did I not burn myself on the stove, the stove, strangely enough, has, a, you know, the metal is red, but when you touch it, you realize it's fake. That's been painted and this is all a disguise. You know, whatever. You know, you just make up something. If it's no and, or sorry, if it's no but, then you might say no, but you pull your arm away as quickly as possible and you make a bunch of sound and you knock something off behind you and the bad guy's here, right? And yes, yes, but, and yes, and are the same way. Yes, buts and no buts occurring to indicate that the answer is along the same lines, but then there's a, a rebuttal to it. No, but meaning no, but something else has gone on. Yes, but now yes, and, and no, and of course, add to it. So if you say, is it hot? No, and yes, and or just yes or no, depending on what you get. Those are your answers. That's pretty simple stuff. And you can do it by yourself. But how do you figure out what the chances are, right? Because otherwise it'd just be 50-50 chance and that'd be utter chaos. What I like about the mythic systems, what I like about all these systems is they have levels of interaction where the player slash GM decides what the chances possibly are. As the chances possibly go up of getting a you know, a, a, an answer that they're sort of putting together with reality, the chances of yeses go higher, right? And noes go lower. As it goes the other way, the chances of getting a no, a no but, or a no and go higher. Now these levels are generally and roughly something like this. Almost impossible, unlikely, or sorry, very unlikely, unlikely, even, and then you have your likely, uh, very likely, almost assured and assured. Okay, you have your different levels. And as you go up or down from even 50%, basically, you have a 50% chance of getting a no or a yes in the even section. As you go up, your chances of getting yes and or yes but go up. And as you go down, it, 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 the chances of getting a no go up. Now, how do you decide that? It's pretty simple. So let's say the exact same situation occurs and I'm the player in the GM and I've written out this starting. Maybe I've rolled this starting because there's generators out there that can make it far more detailed description than even I get. What you do is you ask detailed questions of the Oracle and this is why I like it. So let's say I'm sitting there and I'm playing a solo game by myself and I've woken up and that is the description I got. A, an airy location, some, you know, some definitely some reverb, some echo going on there, but it's completely in the dark. The first thing, as they said, you know, there's a little bit of light. I would ask a question like this. Is the light from a light bulb or is it from possibly a grate in the floor or ground and I'm seeing sunlight or the light from something above me? Now, if I don't know where I am, this is a starting thing and I don't know anything, I would say the chances of that are even, meaning it's chaos, yes or no, equal. I don't know what the answer would be. So I roll. And again, you have, there's dice that you can get for this, or you can use a 1d10 or whatever. I think it's a 1d8 or 1d10 to, to come up with the different answers, but you roll and you get the answer. And let's say it says yes. And so I can either describe this out loud. I can write it down. A lot of people journal, or I can just imagine it in my brain. What's the answer there? Yes. And okay. So I have come up with, yes, it is for sure. Some kind of electrical light. And because I got yes. And I can actually see the wires coming off of it and trailing off into the darkness. That's your yes and. 
Now from there, you continue to move on. Now you already know it's there. So what's going on here? Let's say you woke up and you don't even know your character. You don't know what's going on. If there's a light plugged in, right, with wires, then you know it's probably a postmodern kind of world, right? It's not a fantasy world. If it's a torch or if it's some kind of mystical fantasy globe with weird creatures flying around it to light the area, then you could guess you were in a fantasy world. Again, that's if you had not decided what you were in originally. So you get this light and you get these trailing wires. Now I'm going to be like, okay, that's the information I have now from the Oracle. So there's, I don't need to ask, can I follow those wires? Because I can, at least for a little bit, because they've already described that there are wires there. I've already described that. So the yes and has already given me that. So what I can say is something like, I want to pause for a moment. Do I hear anything now? Or do I hear anything out of the ordinary? Again, at the starting of the game, what you will find with a solo game is you find yourself doing even kind of questions and, and using the even chances a little bit more than later on because you're trying to outfit the world. So let's say I roll it. No, not only that, I get no ant. So I'm like, I listen for anything special, anything unique. What do I, do I hear anything? No and. What does that mean? Well, that means that not only do I not hear anything at all, maybe the only sounds I hear are the occasional scraping of my own feet on the grit below my body when I'm sort of shifting and moving and cupping my ears and listening. So it's now we know it's most likely completely silent in here of animal sounds. It's completely silent in here of electrical sounds. We're not hearing buzzing from the halogen light because we got no ant, right? You're, it's not only, it's actually not only an adding. And that's how you do solo. And it may sound weird because a lot of people are like, man, you're just sort of making up your own stuff. You absolutely are. You are. And especially as you start, you might be using more 50-50 chances. You might say this is an even chance. And so your chances of getting yes, yes, but, yes, and, and no, no, but, no, and are equal. 50% of getting a no or a yes answer in some way. But as you continue to play, you start building and building. And this is no different people than if you're trying to write a story, by the way, cause I'm a published writer, I've written stories. And that's how sometimes a story will begin is your brain is writing. And as you're creating a character, you're like, is he in a car? Yes, he is. Is he on a deserted road? Yes, he is. Where is he moving at this time? No, he's not. Why is he not moving? Is he sitting and eating? Is it a break time? No, it's not. Is he investigating something? Yes, he is, right? That's how you're doing things. That's all it is, people. That's all it is. It is creating that story for yourself. But what's great about oracles and generators that you can get online is you can then generate entire stories for yourself. Let's say you decide, no, you didn't hear anything and it sounds like everything is dead in this room. What if you grab a generator online? You can literally type this into Google, type in like, room generator, they'll come up, click a button, and suddenly it creates a room for you. And that's the room you're using for your game. Not as detailed as a tit for tat, but I think for a lot of people, especially as they journal, it works really well. What I do is I use a voice to text system so I can talk instead of writing because with writing, I have a tendency to edit and a tendency to look over it. And I don't have the inflection in my brain that hearing my own voice will do. So when I get to describe it and then it also writes it, that works for me. Another reason why I like the Oracle system is because not only is it something you probably do anyway, in some way, whether it be a character and you're thinking, should I do this? And you don't tell the DM because as you're thinking, should I do this? You're like, no. And the reason I shouldn't do that is this, right? That's how humans work. 
That is quite literally how humans work. And you'll see people do that all the time. They'll be like, I don't know if I can do solo. And it's like, bro, you're already doing solo. You already are in your brain. When you're doing a normal game, you are doing solo. And the idea that it's just telling a story is for sure there. And it's for sure like a daydream kind of thing. That's why you get generators online, which I'm going to walk you through a generator right now. And we're going to create a little mini story so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Now, the generator I'm going to use today is an absolutely fantastic page called the Seventh Sanctum. To get there, it is www.seventhsanctum.com. Tons of generators here multitudes of generators from anime, manga, beans, characters, combat, darkness, equipment, humor, magic, media, fandom, names and naming, organizations, settings and places, skills, abilities, talents, superheroes, technology, and writing. What I'm going to click, I've gone there. Please go there. If you are following along, I've gone there and I'm going to go to settings and places. Now when settings and places loads up, these are the generators it has. Adventure sites, lost civilizations, outer planes, realms, rooms and locations, tavern names, diseases, magic phenomenon, space phenomenon. This is more about events that can occur in locations. And then you have things like colors, currencies, eras, particles, what if anator, which is generates scrambled histories for writing and gaming inspiration. And those are more broad based things that are still a setting or a location, but they're not necessarily an exact place. We're going to click uh, rooms and locations. So we click on rooms and locations. And here is what we get. We get the room and location generator, which is 20. You can go one place to 20 places that it can generate, right? And some of the places I'm just going to read to you some of the places crimson hallway, foyer of lamps, hallway of torches, the jade gateway, the mine of coffins. Now, these are very D&D names, the, 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 right? Mine of coffins, the jade gateway, that kind of stuff. That might not be for you. That might not be exactly what you want. Maybe you want to dive down more into an actual room generator, which tells you what's in the room, that kind of stuff. Those exist as well. Because of what I'm trying to describe here and what I want to describe here, that is not what we will be doing at this time. I want to I want to use this generator and all of its sort of craziness to explain to you something as we continue on the same exact story that I started when I described to you guys an area that was jet black and a little light was filtering in from the ceiling. So I hit Seventh Sanctum, I hit that location, and I click Generate all of these and I get 20 places and I decide to roll a dice. I roll a dice and I read out which one of these I count down and I get hideaway of hordes. That's the description. Now, immediately to me, I've already come up with something. Hideaway of hordes is fucking awesome to me because now I've decided that somehow I've ended up waking up underneath the bank or underneath some kind of, let's say, area in which bad guys store all of their ill-gotten goods. And as I'm generating this stuff, maybe I'm just, maybe I use that as something like a lost memory, where instead of knowing it's called Hallway of Hordes, because that doesn't necessarily fit a modern game, I say something along the lines in my brain or to the players, you have shards of memories, just momentary glimpses of being thrown in here off of a gurney but as you did, or as you were, you remember being pushed back. Great works of art you've seen before, tapestries on the wall, piles of money, what have you, right? That's your hallway of hordes. That's when you're all of a sudden going, oh man, what's going on here? Like you sort of get it, sorry, hideaway of hordes. And you sort of start to pare that down and come up with an idea. And that's just by hitting that and not sticking to the exact detail. Because one of the things people get with generators is they have a tendency to stick to the detail. I don't. Hideaway of hordes to me, 
That doesn't need to be a place called that. It just can have something tangentially connected to it. What if you switch it? Remove what I just said. Hideaway, hideaway of hordes. What would hideaway of hordes possibly be? I'm going to say it's this. I'm now going to say this is a place where an alien hive mind takes the greatest, the best of the best, throws them down into an endless dungeon and watches them basically try to get themselves out. And the horde is me. I am this special character. Now, boom, I've already got the idea. What kind of special character is this? And that's when you start making stuff up, right? If you're the DM and you have a multiple group game, this is something where all those people are like, whoa, what? What does that mean? Like, if we're the best of the best, am I the best killer? Am I the best uh, puzzle statistician? Am I the best warrior? Am I the best scholar? What exactly am I the best of? And you can create a game right from there. Again, using the exact same answer, hideaway of hordes. And continuing on using the seventh sanctum, I would say that's a good idea. That's, I've got that. So I'm going to hit the generator types again. Again, follow me along if you actually want to. And it, it will actually help if you guys do so. I'm going to go to technology. And I don't know why, by the way, I have absolutely no reason to hit technology. I'm just going to go there. And when I'm in technology, I'm going to hit science fiction tools. This is in general. It's one, two, three. It's three down. This is the generator I have now got. And I have a bunch of things here. I have 15 of them. I'm going to generate because I can generate up to 15. So I'm going to roll a 1D20 and I'm going to remove five, uh, 15 and above just to make it easy. You can do it any way you want, but that's how I'm going to do it. And I get Gravitic Grinder. The Gravitic Grinder. That's the answer I get. Now I'm like, okay, what does a Gravitic Grinder mean? I'm going to tell you right now, I already know what that means for my character because this actually fits. You know what I was the best at? I was the best in a spacefaring race at a particular game. A little bit like, let's say, baseball. A little bit like dodgeball. A little bit like a kill em football. And that's the game that it was called, Gravitic Grinder. That was the game. It was one man or two men enter, one man leave. Everybody died when it came to this game. So you were never able to basically continue on for very long. But me, as this amazing player, I was the top tier Gravitic Grinder player for, we'll say, five years, which is unheard of, five years. This is all, again, just using Gravitic Grinder, which is technically a tool. But I've decided the tool in this particular instance is a tool to help me come up with the background. And that's how you use generators. You do not use generators, by the way, always and exactly the way that they are supposed to be used or at least their description in which they're supposed to be used because it will fuck you up. It will fuck you up every time, excuse my language, but you will go in there and you'll be like, Gravitic Grinder, does that mean my character has one? Yes, ignoring what I just said, maybe say, you reach down to your side and you realize the only item you have is your Gravitic Grinder. What were you? You were the best welder, who knows, right? But to me, Gravitic Grinder sounds like some kind of futuristic dodgeball where people die all the time. So it works perfect for me and for my idea. And now I've got a character. I sort of know what the evil thing that's going on is. I'm put into this endless dungeon for reasons unknown. And I remember maybe some kind of, we'll say some kind of message telling me that. And secondarily, I now know that that is what I was good at. Five years. So that means athletically, I'm pretty fucking good, right? Maybe I'm not the smartest, but I now am starting to generate the idea of a character and understanding what that character may be. Again, using generators intelligently and not exactly as they always are set out to be used. I think that's probably the thing that we can come away from that. I don't need to go through uh, that too many more times. You can see that there's not only the actual specific thing that you get when you use a generator when it comes to solo or multiplayer, 
uh, role-playing, you know, true nor normal role-playing or what have you. It's a lot of times that more abstract way in which you do things. And those abstract things are also what normal players do. And it's one of the reasons why when I'm doing solo or when I'm doing a group game, the abstraction is a little bit of the juice. You know, when somebody says the screwdriver, when I say a screwdriver, it could be the carnival ride, the item, or a drink, or possibly a WWE special move. And I'm not joking about that. It could possibly be that. It can be all those things and more. And that's the abstractness of it. And when you're using a generator, I, I implore you, if you're thinking of using those things, make yourself really work for it a couple times and maybe come up with something that's a little bit different from the answer you got, because I'm going to tell you that's what will light your fire. And that's what will train you to be a better GM as, as you continue to play. You'll start to be able to say and do in your head all of this stuff and come up with these ideas already where you may be dropping sort of a false lead on the players where you're like, um, you know, it's the great screwdriver. And they're for a second are like, whoa, that's weird. So it's like a tool, like something from Doctor Who. And then you're like, no, actually, um, Gravitate Grinder, which is the special move that this character or the special game that this character plays, he also pulled off a move on one guy and killed him, you know, and he pulled off the great screwdriver. And that's what he's known for is this one absolute gnarly move he pulled on a guy, right? Sounds like over the top. It sounds like WWE, but that's fine. That's what we're doing right now. We're just coming up with random shit. And that's really what's important, you know, about D&D is, is random shit and understanding how to put it all together, whether you're using anything from you know, a generator to your own brain. One of the things that I always tell people is you will find randomness and you will find ideas every single place you go. And it is stunning how people can overlook it. Let me describe to you the different places right now, just in my room where there are amazing ideas that a lot of people will not think of. If I was doing D and D with a group of friends on discord, my keyboard is an amazing location for awesome ideas. All those keys. I'm thinking, I'm trying to come up with a name. I look down T, T is for Thomas. Boom, we have a name. T is for Tron. I look over and I see L, you know, Leonidas, what have you. Each one changing and adjusting for the game itself. If you see break in the on the keyboard, you're, that can be used in your story. These kind of things actually come up all the time where you're trying to get a little extra detail and you're not thinking what's going on around you. I'm looking at Adobe, by the way, Premiere, which is I'm recording in. There's letters and terms and numbers everywhere here. If I need a random number, I look over to the audio right now and I watch it bouncing and I'm not looking right now. I'm going to look right now. It's at 12. So there you go. 12. That's the random number that I need for right now. Or that's the answer for how many people are hiding in the darkness, right? Those kind of things can be interspersed and used to help you along because really role-playing, story building, being a GM is all about lying. It's all about invigorating the player with grotesquely huge lies, almost labyrinthian in the scale of how you mix everything together. But also, I mean, they're just, they're monumentous when you think about it, the amount of lies that you're telling the players and trying to maneuver them and they're trying to maneuver you. And that's what it should be about. It should be this awesome, grandiose moment. Even if it's a touching, poignant, part, you're still trying to make everybody understand why you're explaining it in the first place. And you don't always need to work so fucking hard. I'll get people who are so stressed out about coming up with an idea. And I'm like, you know what you need to do then for five minutes a day, go to a generator and click generate and try to come up with a mini story or an answer to anything you hit. So, and ask it a question, go to the generator, go to like the tools question and say, you know, I'm here at the tools, by the way, seven sanctum again, and I, I'm going to hit the number and I, 
I'm going to say something like generate more and I'm going to ask a question of, you know, what's the special building's name that we need to go to? I hit it and I get the spanner. So I would change that to the great span. You know, like what's the great span to you? Well, to me, the great span would be between two things. So I'm going to say it is a monolithic, almost touch in the sky kind of superstructure, a skyscraper like Dubai, and it's got a great span between it. And the span is what it's known for. It's the longest span on this planet. I've now decided we're on a different planet. This is all stuff that you can do. We're on a different planet. This is the longest span between two skyscrapers ever. It is, we'll say, a mile long dwarfing most humans' ability to create different things and use various machinery and chemical constructs that we make. But this alien race has been able to create this thing. And we'll say not only that, it was the first picture that we ever took, that humans ever took when they got to another alien races and planet. The alien race invited them to their city and the first thing they saw coming up out of the mist and fog when they entered this massive Coruscant-like city is this span, this massive thing. That's what you get from Spanner. That's it. That's how you do things. That's how you put things together. You don't have to stop at just that answer and you can make it go backwards into, like I said, where I just decided, hey, you know what? This is how humans first sort of idealized this alien race was by seeing the span and you can go forward to that's where we're headed to right now. That's how you do and how you use generators. Never stick at just what you get. What are we at? We're at like 33 minutes. I think I answered most of the people's questions because I did get some questions on this, how uh, role playing works, how when it comes together, how everything works. I'm going to answer some of the questions, though, before we roll up. Fuji says tabletop role playing. Any tips for playing solo or duo? You briefly mentioned the duo. Um, I would say and, and I have talked about it before, so you can go back and listen to one or two of them, but that's all right. I would say the tips are. Never make another player, if you decide to do a GM game, which is just you and a friend, um, throw in Discord, decide on a rule set, a very simple rule set, and make sure that they know that they're not going to have to roll on anything that is generally assumed. Again, those are really important rules to get a game going, by the way. If somebody's brand new to D&D, they'll be like, I don't understand uh, when I'm supposed to roll. Just say, listen, the only time you roll is when you are trying to equal to or exceed the absolute best your character can do, which also indicates, by the way, trying to save their motherfucking life right? That's it. Otherwise, if it's like, do you want to lift a plate? Why would you roll for that? Now you can, if you want to inject some chaos, that's fine. But there's other systems that are actually out there that will track sort of chaos and happenstance and randomness, as well as just your own ability to do so when you start to get an idea of how the story is playing out and what people are liking and disliking. Because those times, by the way, their value cannot be measured. They're, They're super, super awesome to have chaos in your game, but you don't always need it. So I would say, yeah, you just get them together. Um, For me, you know, solo one, two player, I've done, you know, years of it, group games. I think role-playing as a whole is always useful. I think solo role-playing, people give it a weird rap, even though almost every writer in the universe, I just don't know how you would not be solo role-playing if you're a writer. I just don't even understand how you would go about it because... It would mean that you've decided every single thing prior to putting it on a page. And I don't know of any writer, professional or amateur, that has ever done that. You almost always are deciding things and changing things. And when you're writing, by the way, characters will surprise you. When you're writing, uh, a brainstorm, even if it's just you, can surprise you later on. So very important. Um, But I would say grab Discord. If you just want some general instructions for solo, grab Discord. Grab, you know 
1d20 bought for Discord or have two people go to a dice rolling website so that they're on the same website and decide on your rules and just go. And if you want to make it really easy, do three the, the old 3-3 three, three system, which is not my favorite system, but I'm going to describe it real quick because it's so fucking easy. 3-3 three, three is basically three attributes and three skills for each one. So your attributes could be something like dexterity, constitution, and strength, and... Or sorry, no, that would be that would be six. So you would go three, three, and three. I apologize. So you would basically in groups, you would say something like um body, social, and mental. My apologies. So you would do body, social, and mental. And you'd put some points in those. You can go one to five. And then each one of those would get three skills. So you go to the body and you're like, what's a skill my character has? Sprint, boom, whatever. Write it down. Uh, what's another skill that my character has? Um, you know, karate kick. I'm not lying. Just write karate kick down. Who gives a fuck? Right? You're just playing. Right karate kick down. Next one comes up, you know, you're like, I can hold my breath for five fucking minutes, what have you. Now you look at those things, you look at those three things, and you're like, what does that mean for my character? What's that make my character? Well, immediately what I was thinking is sort of like a Mission Impossible Tom Cruise character. He held his breath, he can fight quite well. So I'm like, okay, we've sort of got that. Then you go to social and you decide, you know, how many points you have in that and how many skills or what your skills are going to be from that. And then for mental, and then those are your skills. And that's how you basically take care of every single thing in the game. And usually in a game like that, you would say that people can try anything. It's just that they try with absolutely no bonuses at all. They would try with their basic body skill. So if a person is trying to, you know, do something that's completely unknown to them and it, they don't have any skills for it they would just use their body skill and you can even add some negatives to that and you just go you just start right you just go you can do a 3-3 three, three game in like you could get a 3-3 three, three, again three attributes uh, and three skills for each you could get a game like that going in like three minutes like you could we, we, matter of fact I'm going to patent that we'll call it 3-3-3 three, three, three. And that's the way it can be. You could time somebody. By the way, I'm just making all this up when it comes to timing somebody, but just do it instead. Say we're going to make a game, 3-3-3. You got three minutes. You have three, uh, you know, you have your three attributes. You have three skills for each attribute. Go. And then you have to decide how many points they can put in their attribute. But anyway, that's it. And you just, you move forward and you start rolling. You start figuring out. Enemies are easier that way too, because then you can just be like this enemy's more social than mental and more physical than both of them. This next character is more social and mental and less physical than both of those, you know, and you can just start putting characters together. It takes just a couple seconds. That's probably one way I would start. I'll break down uh, playing, you know, a two-person game a little later, maybe in a different podcast. I will say when it comes to a two-person game, again, remember that unlike a solo game where you have the ability to continually control time and input and output and like a multiplayer GM uh, and normal role-playing game, you have so many chances for people to use their various different skills. With a one-on-one -on -one game, it can be quite fucking difficult. So you got to make sure that you understand the, the character that is being played. Do they have passive skills and abilities for their race or species, whichever word you use now? Then you may need to prompt that player and remind them of those things and make sure that you take care of the passive stuff, allowing the player to take care of the other stuff. And by the way, write this shit down. I've seen people who are like, I don't know if I'm smart enough. You know, most smart people I know, not necessarily super smart. They have copious notes and a good amount of study. And that's what you can do as well. Write this shit down. Write it down right now. Be like 333. Write down the fact of, hey, if I'm playing a two-player game, I got to make sure that I'm taking care of all the passive stuff so that the player takes care of these. Now you can write down the fact, how do I describe passive stuff? Well, you look at a character, you're like, I can describe, you know, 
a sound that they may hear without trying to hear it, uh, a smell, those kind of things. Write them down. Next up, Flakeout says, many games ideas have failed by incorporating technologies that aren't ready. Oh, oh, whoops, whoops sorry. That's a, uh, that is a video game question. Uh, Fatal does say, do you see the value in reactions with review or discussion videos on YouTube? Would you prefer to see reactions or discussions as a group or as a solo person going through a TV? Oh, oh going through a TV show. You know what? This can, this I think is a video game question, but I'm going to answer it here as well. He says, do you think the value in reactions with review or discussion videos on YouTube, do you see the value in them? And he says, would you prefer to see reactions or discussions as a group or as a solo person uh, going through a TV show or, or, or movie? You know, real as we close this out, I want to talk about like, well, Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing board games. I see a lot of people doing solo board game reviews, a shit ton. And I'm going to tell you why. And I don't know if they'll admit this. Uh, one of the major reasons that you see one or two people doing the reviews and they seem to be doing quite well, but it's just them by themselves. And a lot of times not with others is because almost all board games ship with a shit ton of errors. And I don't mean a small amount. People go check out fantasy flight, man. Those guys, they can't fucking, they can't fix their shit to save their life. And it's difficult sometimes to say, here's my review or my thought process on this when there's a bunch of mistakes. And that doesn't happen with, let's say, a video game as much because as long as the rule is known in the video game, when I hit the A button, I'm gonna jump, right? And the other person knows A will always be jump. You just know that. But in a role-playing environment and in a board game, things can get a little weird. There'll be times in board games where, for example, one of my favorite games is called Hero Clicks. They have actions and then they have free actions, which by the way, if you're making a game, Never fucking do that. Never. It's just never. It's never worked out right. It's never worked out right. It is a bad idea. Do not call it free actions if there's something else that can be done that's aside from the actions. It it will confuse everybody. And it's there's not been a game where that hasn't confused people. You can you have the same thing. Just don't have the word action in there. Change it to something else. Because if you if you overlay those kind of things, that's what causes arguments in groups. And you'll have people get in a group and somebody will be like, well, free action in Heroclix when you do this. And somebody will be like, well, technically that's not a free action if you're Superman or Spider-Man 84, or if you're Wonder Woman 62, and you're just like, oh shit, man. Like, how did we get here? And I've seen it happen, by the way, in groups. I've seen group chats about role-playing in particular where people are talking and like people's heads drop when somebody not a rules lawyer, by the way, but when somebody pops off with like, well, technically, and you're just like, fuck, because there's a lot of those technicalities. And uh, I think in, in video games, there's a, a f it's not necessarily less. It's just that if you want to talk about those things, I can usually point at a screen, right? And when you're playing a board game, every time I try to point at the screen, I find myself actually not being able to find it and then look up online. And I, this, happen this is so crazy. It happens all the time, though. We'll be playing a board game. We'll have a question. I will religiously try to not look it up. I'll be like, we got, it's got to be in the board. It's got to be in the book, man. It doesn't make any sense. It's got to be here somewhere. And we will look it up. And I swear to shit, guys, it's the number one question every fucking time. I'll look it up and it'll just be flooded boards, flooded with this question. You'll be like, how in the fuck did this game maker not think that this was going to be an issue? Like, it's connected, directly connected to something. So anyway, it's fun times, man. This is all, you know, these are just ideas that you can use. Uh, you know, some people will probably hear me do generator stuff and be like, how the fuck did he come up with that? Or his ideas are stupid. One or the other. There's no gray area. But, um, you know, as you continue to use those and continue to do those, you'll be able to come together and, and sort of understand that there's an, 
sort of an analytical and then that more alternative meaning, especially when it comes to generators, and they can assist you so much. I would say, in fact, Seventh Sanctum, I like their generators on their page, but they do have a tendency to go very old school fantasy name-ish, virtual grinder, right? Real word, real word kind of thing. Or, you know, the Hall of Echoes. You're just like, yeah, okay, that's that's 1980s D&D for me. Um, when there's other ways to do it. But instead... What I like to do is go to generators that have nothing to do with what I'm trying to figure out and click in those. So I, you know, go to rooms when you're trying to come up with a sword and, you know, you'll hear something like uh, the tunnel of lost sorrows. And you'll be like, well, what the fuck does that mean? To me, that means the sword is crystalline and at its tip has a small hole. And if you ever hit anybody with it, it basically sucks out one of their dreams and replaces it with a nightmare and uh, gives the owner of the sword a little bit of health back or something like that, almost like Stormbringer from the Elric of Melonboni series. So, or Melonboni? Yeah, everybody pronounces that different too. But anyway, that's, you know, that alternate use of these generators. So that's it for me. We've gone a long time. I didn't realize it was this long. I hope you guys like this kind of stuff. This one was, you know, trying to get some of the ideas around of not only doing solo and two-player, but as well as multiplayer and also generators and their use. Um, if people like this, I would love to hear it. I don't get a lot of feedback on this. I get a, a sh this is really weird. Probably should have said this at the starting. I get a shit ton of views on this video, but I don't get a lot of feedback on it. So you can do a hashtag. Maybe you're not following me on Twitter, or maybe you don't have a Twitter. You can do a hashtag, you know, ACG or whatever, or, you know, hashtag Dungeon Dragons, hash, hashtag generator. We'll do that. You can do a hashtag generator, but I, I rarely even get a hashtag back, but I get a lot of comments back where people have obviously, obviously watched it and listened to it. So not 100% sure how to take that feedback um, and, and, and work it back in so that it's useful to you guys. So I would say if you're a patron, feel free to post in, you know, the, the podcast questions. And if you are not, you can always go to Reddit where I have the ACG vids uh, forum slash subreddit where we also talk about, you know, stuff like this because I post these up and you can always post a question there. Anyway, that's it for me. Like I said, affiliate link, if you get a chance, please, ACG, Spotify, or iTunes, subscribe. That's it. Peace out and enjoy the rest of your week.